and um, with John, it's, it's friendship part two. Um, you're going to challenge us to be more friendly, okay? And I, I think we got a pretty friendly group. I mean, can you, can you take us deeper this Sunday? We'll see. Jay, I just want to thank you. I, I, every week you, you give us the first five minutes of your stand-up routine. And there are times where I just enjoy it immensely, and one, today was one of those days. I, thank you for the Archie Bell and the drills. That, that's uh, taking me home. So, uh, we're, we're going through the book of Ruth. And we're going to read the second chapter of Ruth today. And last week we talked about the gift of friendship. And this week what we're looking at is this journey that this guy goes on who we haven't heard of until we read about him in this chapter. And last chapter, we saw Naomi and Ruth and this family going on this journey and all this tragedy and just their lives are turned upside down. And then they come home and then we're going to meet a new character, a guy named Boaz, okay? And I want to tell you something about Boaz, but before I do, I've got to get a plug for one of my favorite movies of all time. How many of you saw Gran Torino? Okay, 2008. Okay, Clint Eastwood. Interesting story. It's about a man uh, named Walt. Uh, kind of an old, he's a retired auto worker in Detroit. And actually, it's based on a true story, which happened in Minneapolis. But they really don't have a lot of auto workers in Minneapolis. So <laughs> Clint Eastwood decided to set it in Detroit. And he's kind of at the end of his life. His wife has died. And he's, he's bitter and cranky and, and uh, not a good neighbor. Let's just put it that way. And in the story, a, a family of Vietnamese refugees who are part of a, a, a people group called the Hmongs move in next to him, and it just kind of upsets his life. But the, the movie takes us on this journey from him being this cranky, really a, a racist guy, to someone who he, I would say, learns what family is. He learns about faith. He, he, he reconciles. He gets rid of guilt in his life. I mean, a lot of things happen in the course of this movie. Because, you know, that's, that's the narrative arc of, of a movie. There's a character that goes on a journey. Well, we're going to see the same kind of, in fact, parallel journey that this man Boaz goes on. Because even though it's called Ruth, the story of Ruth has several other characters in it, and they all go on journeys. Naomi goes on a journey, Ruth goes on a journey, Boaz goes on a journey, we're going to go on a journey. So when you read this story with me, the idea of a journey is the uh, most repeated motif of what a life of faith is in the Bible. If you go through the Bible and you look at all the different kinds of images that uh, the Bible uses to describe what a life of faith is, going on a journey is the most frequently used. And so in this story, I want you to look with me. If you have a Bible with you, you can turn to the book of Ruth. And if you want to use one of the paperback Bibles under the chair seat in front of you, it's on page uh, 185. That's where we're going to pick up the story. And again, feel free to take one of these home if you... uh, 
want one? They're free. If you know somebody who wants a Bible and they don't have one, grab one, grab a couple. Give them out at work. Uh, hand, when you go through the drive-thru at McDonald's, just hand them to the person. No, I'm just kidding. I do that. We couldn't afford that. Uh, this story is going to take us like it takes Boaz on a journey of friendship. But it's, it's a kind of friendship that you're going to see in this story. This man, his life was just all set, just like Walt in Gran Torino, although Walt was kind of a, a gnarlier guy. This man, Boaz, is a man who's really a person of high reputation and character. Uh, but into his life comes this immigrant, Naomi. And we're going to watch the journey he goes on. We're, this is the first stage of it. Because next chapter, he goes further in the journey. And the chapter after that, he goes further on his journey. And it has implications, as we'll see, uh, profound, important implications for all of us. Now, I want to tell you something. I'm going to meddle today. All right? I'm going to be meddling. I'm going to be getting in your business a little bit. And I'm I'm not making it up. I'm not manufacturing, meddling in your business. As you're going to see, when you read this story, this story meddles. And because of the subject about which it meddles is so controversial, I just want you to prepare yourself before we even see what the subject is to set aside your innate, deeply set stubbornness and the idea that that you've already figured everything out and there's nothing you can learn. God forbid that I should say something that you could learn from. I want to encourage you to check that attitude because it will hinder you from seeing something that God has for you that's amazing and wonderful. And everything that God sends our way is a gift. Last week we talked about the gift of friendship. We're going to continue in that vein. I want to ask you. In fact, in fact let's just pray for a minute. Because as I've talked to you, I, I wrote a little note last night on my Facebook page about one little point I'm going to make in this. <laughs> and I went to bed. I woke up this morning, got up early, and I, I thought, I, was, I wonder if anybody posted anything on there. And I looked at it. It was like, <laughs> people were like snarling and snapping and, you know, I'm never talking to people again. I'm never going to church again if people think like this. And it, I was just going, wow. So I was fore, forewarned by my Facebook post last night, which I thought was a benign Facebook post. I don't really put a lot of political stuff or things that are controversial on my Facebook post because I think they just, most of the time, they just add to the, the culture of outrage. We, we don't need more outrage, do we? Okay, good. So let's pray for a minute. Uh, Father, it is so good to come into your presence with other people here who are on the same journey. And I thank you for the open-heartedness that uh, you've granted us here this morning. Lord, you draw near to us, and it just melts us. And we pray you draw even nearer to us right now that through your word, we might be able to hear your voice. We might see something that you want us to see, even if it, it rocks us a bit. Because we know that you're inviting us 
into other things that are awesome and great and wonderful. So we pray for grace that we might do that and that your word would get planted in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're going to start reading in uh, chapter 2, verse 1. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side. Oh, hold up. Let me stop for a second. Please don't go look on my Facebook page during the teaching. <laughs> what's, he talk, what's he talking about? <laughs> shame. I don't shame. I don't believe in shaming people, but shame. It just struck me. I'm praying and I'm realizing there, you shouldn't have said Facebook. Right? It's like danging red meat in front of a starving dog. And so let's start again. I'm sorry. Okay, now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. And a man of standing means a person of stature, wealth, you know, prominence, influence. And it also meant all of that in the best sense spiritually, that, that Boaz was a man of real deep faith. Now, remember how we, we, I told you last week that the book of Ruth is like part two of the book of Judges. And in the book of Judges, it was a real dark time in Israel's history. And, and it's just like bad story after bad story after bad story. And at the, the last line of the book of Judges is everybody just does what's right in their own eyes. And we talked about that last week. What a train wreck that is when you embrace that, which is, is the most popular uh, life philosophy embraced in America today, is everybody does what is right in their own eyes. And so the book of Ruth comes along as a complete contrast to that. And, and what it's saying is, we, you may have drawn an, an unfortunate inference about uh, Israel during the time of Judges that everybody here was just totally spiritually bankrupt. Not true. There were plenty of people who were, were walking and following God faithfully. And we're going to see the story of several here. In fact, one person who's an outsider who becomes a real faithful follower, Ruth. So, so Boaz, uh, the story opens with him, new character. Verse 2, And Ruth, the Moabitess, said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. So Naomi said to her, go, my daughter. So she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. Now, I don't know if you know what gleaning is, but gleaning was an ancient practice. It's, it's practiced today. Actually, there are, there are countries that gleaning has been banned in, and there, are, there, are, there have been laws passed in the United States to forbid gleaning because of liability and other kinds of concerns. But Gleaning was part of the social safety net that God established in Israel. What he said was, there's lots of people who experience hardships, in insurance terms, acts of God, that, that through no fault of their own, they're put in very difficult circumstances. And in their culture, your, your, your clan, your family was all important. And so widows would become very vulnerable. Orphans would become very vulnerable. The poor would become very vulnerable. Uh, immigrants and outsiders, aliens, would become very vulnerable. And so what they did was they said, if you've got a field and you've sown some sort of crop, what you have to do was 
leave the edges of your field to the poor and widows and orphans and immigrants and people who were, you know, in, in distress. And they would come, and as you harvested, you would leave the outside edge of the field all around it so that people, they wouldn't have to go way into your field, so trespassing and all that stuff isn't an issue. They just step on your property and they, and they harvest the, whatever kind of grain or crop that you planted. And now they have to work. There, there's effort they put into it. But the Lord's, I, I'm going to read you a passage from Deuteronomy in a second that, that says this explicitly because it, it gives you this picture of all the kinds of grain and crops and things that, that Israel, uh, the, the Jewish people would you know, have on their land. And the way that they were supposed to express God's kindness and concern for those people was through allowing them to glean freely. Now, it was really hard work. Uh, because not only did they, could they glean the edges, but they, would, they could go onto your, your fields and pick up leftover bits of grain, okay? When, when it would be harvested, grain would fall out, out of people's sacks or out of the bundles, and, and the poor could come along afterwards, and they could take that, and it was theirs. So this was a social safety net that God established, and he said, do not glean to the edges of your field. I mean, do not harvest to the very edges of your field. That's not for you. And, and I, want you, I want you to see what God says. And this is like what we talked about last week. Remember how one of the things, that, I hope you went away with this image, but like between us and, and another person, husbands and wives, parents and children, neighbors, strangers, our enemies, the space between us and anybody else is inhabited by God. He's in that space. And how we respond and treat those people when we are generous towards them, God says, I'm going to send it back to you and take care of you. And there are places that, we're, that make these explicit, like almost like covenants, like in the book of Jeremiah. God says, when you're in exile in Babylon... When you're in the city of Babylon, live for the peace of the city that you're in because their peace and your peace are bound up together. They're like rubber banded together. And so you have self-interest in caring for your neighbor, your children, your, you know, your parents, your spouses, your even enemies. And just, if you don't remember, Ruth the Moabitess Ruth was from Moab. They kept using the term Moabitess. Moab was one of the worst enemies of Israel. You're going to see how they were generally treated in this story and how differently Boaz was led to treat her. So God's in this space between us. Deuteronomy chapter, I don't like to flip all around the Bible generally, but I want you to read this with me. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 19 to 22. Now, just don't look it up unless you're really quick. Deuteronomy 24, 19. When you're harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, in other words, some of the harvest, don't go back to get it. Leave it for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow so that the Lord, your God, may bless you in all the work of your hands. God's in this space. You see what he's saying? 
as you bless those people, as you don't get everything you could get from your land, but you care for those people, God's in this space and he's going to bless the work of your hands. And he doesn't limit it to just the fields. He's implying that his favor will rest on people who show this kind of strange love to other people. So he goes, when you beat the olives from your trees, don't go over the branches a second time. So what they would do is, olive trees would, when they were fruitful, the olives are all over them and they'd be in high branches. And what, they're, what he's saying is, when you take a stick, because they take sticks, and they'd hit the branches and they'd cause the olives to fall. What he said was, once you do it once, don't do it again. Well, does that mean that there could be a whole bunch of olives up there that are just for the poor? Yeah. He said, don't do it a second time. Now, an industrious farmer is going, I'm going to beat that thing till every possible olive, until only the most stubborn olives are clinging. You know, they're like wrapped around the branches. He's saying, don't do that. Even though that makes sense, right? That makes economic sense. He says, leave what, is, what remains for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow. When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, don't go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow. See, three times, he repeats himself three times to, to, just to make this point. So he's saying, just because I didn't talk about you know, tomato plants. I've talked about most everything here. Just keep extrapolating it out so I don't have to make the law longer than it already is. So do you understand? Uh, uh, and, uh, here's the thing. A heart that wants to please God doesn't have to have every tiny detail spelled out. Because love, when it's in our hearts makes us go the extra mile, makes us just be loving and amazing and generous and open-hearted. But when it, it's just, I got a rule to obey, you got to tell them every single detail. That's not what Moses is doing. He's kind of, he's, he's moving towards that, then he stops. And he says, remember, now this is the, this is the motivation about how we deal how Boaz, how this whole scene was seen. Okay, he says, leave what remains for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. Remember what that was like when you were foreigners and you were mistreated. Do you remember how hard that was? He's, he's, he's calling on there national memory of how they were almost ruined and God had mercy on them and he came and he, he rescued them as a, as a group of slaves. He rescued them from Egypt and gave them their own land. Not because, he said over and over, not because you've done anything special, but just out of God's kindness. So he's saying, remember what it was like when you were treated that way, both poorly and then kindly. Because when you look at these people who are in your land, poor, fatherless widows, aliens, they are all like you were in Egypt, and I want you to be as kind to them as I was to you. Okay? Straightforward, simple. Now, 
this law of gleaning was not always followed. Just, just to be clear. It's, it, there's, there's lots of evidence that shows that, like most of the things God asks us to do, they just didn't do it. Because people just, people, when, when we aren't as generous as we could be, there's, there's only two reasons. Well, maybe there's a third one. Sometimes we're just ignorant. But most of the time, it's either because we're afraid or we're selfish. Now, maybe you can think of other motives. But I know in my life, when I'm not generous, it's just generally because I'm afraid or I'm being selfish. And they were no different. They're no different than us. And so let's look at the next verse. So she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. We're in verse 3. As it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Now, we'll, we'll find out why that's important, this, this family relationship uh, later. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they call back. Boaz asked the foreman of his harvesters, whose young woman is that? The foreman replied, she is the Moabitess who came back from Moab with Naomi. And I'll stop here in just a second. Oh, no, let me finish. Uh, she said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She went into the field and has worked steadily from the morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So, this is a key passage. Because Naomi has let Ruth go out to, to glean. And you think, why did, why did Ruth need permission? I mean, they're, they're hungry. This is an opportunity. You know, they, they don't, they're destitute. They don't, have any, they don't have the family property anymore. I mean, they're like in a tough place. Why does Naomi not just want to let Ruth go out there? Because of the way that Moabites were treated by Hebrews. The, the Hebrews had been poorly treated by the Moabites when they came out of Egypt. And now the Hebrews were just returning the favor. And so when Moabites came into their land and, and or, or were, in a, were, were in a place where they were disadvantaged, they would get bullied. And, and women could get a lot worse than bullied. You just understand. And so Naomi doesn't want Ruth to go into that environment. She's a, you know, a, a, probably not a young woman, probably in her 20s, but not the best place for a vulnerable woman. But the situation is so desperate, she says, okay, go. And it turns out, it says, as it turns out, you know, just accidentally, she goes into the field of a person who would be kind to her. She didn't know whose field it was. She just showed up there, asked if she could glean, and was allowed to, and was working really hard when Boaz shows up. And it says, Boaz noticed her. And the word foreigner that's in here, Hebrew is a very kind of concrete, uh, real earthy language. And what foreigner went, the Hebrew word for foreigner was different or conspicuous, right? 
my friends here are conspicuous. In Dublin, for sure. They're different. You can notice different, and you can ignore it, and move on your way, or you can notice and move towards different. You can notice the immigrant and move towards them, or you can just keep, you can notice and just keep going, or you can not notice at all. It's one of the points of the Good Samaritan. If you go and read the, the story of the Good Samaritan, it says a man gets beat up, and two religious people come by and see him, and they kind of, they, they make a, a broad path around him, like, what if he's like a trap? We go to help him. We'll get waylaid too. Or they see he's bleeding, and, you know, they don't want to become, they're going to Jerusalem, they don't want to get blood on them because then they'll be ceremonially unclean. But a Samaritan comes along, and he sees the wounded man, and he moves towards him. What, is, what does Boaz do? Who's this young woman? She's the Moabitess who came back from Moab. So Boaz goes to Ruth, and we'll read what he says to her in a minute. But this notice thing, this is this pivotal thing. And I want to tell you something. If you notice what I'm saying today, you can go on the same journey Boaz went on that changed his life. But you have to be, move, you have to be willing to move towards something that might be uncomfortable for you. For, different, for maybe legitimate reasons. Boaz had reasons, like every Hebrew did, to not care about Moabites. Because Moabites didn't care about them. Tough. It's tough that you have it so tough. We were slaves coming out of Egypt with nothing. And you, you got a prophet to curse us. And you started a war against... It was a, they had a lot of bad blood. Boaz had every reason to look at Naomi, I mean, look at Ruth, and just go, nah. You know, it's okay if she wants to just glean in the field. But he heard her story, and he'd heard about her from the family. You know, everybody was talking about them coming into town. And Boaz had to remember, because it's repeated so many times in the law, remember, you were a slave in Egypt. Remember. And for us, it's remember, Jesus shed his blood for you. He laid his life down for you. When you didn't deserve it, remember that. So Boaz remembered that. And so Boaz didn't just keep going. He stopped. He noticed her and he went towards her. And he's going to have a dialogue with her in a second. And when you notice something is when stuff starts happening. And then when you notice and move towards it is when it really gets fun. Okay? We live in a community that's beginning to fill up with immigrants. And I want to ask you, which kind of noticing have you done? Just, just sit with that. There's something God's doing when things change. 
just truth. So, Boaz says to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Excuse me, I lost my place. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the girls. I've told the men not to touch you. And whenever you're thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men are filled. And Boaz instructs his workers not to mistreat Ruth, but to protect her. So Boaz is risking his reputation. But let me tell you something. When, when people have different views about things and you're, you don't have the same view, your status can quickly change with those people. This whole chapter screams with the truth that Moabites weren't welcome and they were going to be mistreated in, in Israel for what everyone thought were good reasons. And if you didn't think there were good reasons, then suddenly everyone looked at you differently. Have, have, have things changed much? They haven't, have they? I told you I was going to meddle. So I just, just keep my promise, man of my word here, all right? So the next thing, go down to verse 14. At mealtime, we're going to come back to 10 to 13 in a second. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here and have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. And she got up to glean. Oh, excuse me. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, even if she gathers among the sheaves. And the sheaves were like the, the grain that was harvested. They tied together. Okay? And, and typically, even though God said, you can go among the sheaves and pick up uh, gleanings on the ground around them, the, the rule was don't do that. I mean, you know, that's what, that's what had developed over time. Well, what he says is, let her, let her go among the sheaves and don't embarrass her, even if she gathers among the sheaves. Rather, pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Okay, so Boaz goes even further in showing kindness to Ruth. He treats her like family and feeds her. Not just his men, like family. He's letting her eat. You know, you don't let the servants eat all they want. You let family eat all they want. Something's shifting here, right? Boaz is just going to his fields. Everybody's happy because it's harvest time. And then there's this fork in the road for him. And he imagines, I'm going to get X amount from my fields. And there's this woman, and the immediate obligation is, if I, if I notice her, <laughs> she's going to take away from me. But he makes a choice. I'm not, I'm gonna, not only going to let her do that, but because I remember how I was treated, my people were treated by God, I'm going to protect her. And then later on, he sees another opportunity, and he invites her to eat with 
him and his workers and his family. And he blesses her. And then he says, when she goes back out in the field, he tells the workers, right? Hey, just make it even easier for her. Wow. Wow. This is not the way you expect this to go. The story doesn't typically work this way. So, Ruth, is, verse 17, says, Ruth gleaned in the field until evening, uh, and, and she goes home, just to shorten it. She goes home with 30 to 50 pounds of grain. It's a lot of grain. It's a, for two grown people, it's, a, it's over a month's worth of food at the low end of the estimate. Because, you know, people have actually tried to figure out, well, how much grain would she have gotten by, by gleaning all day long and blah, blah, blah. And, and they figured conservatively 30 pounds if she was really if they were really generous and she was very diligent she could have taken home 50 pounds of grain that's after it's threshed because it says that she threshed the grain and so she got rid of all the waste right and that's hard work i mean she have you ever picked up you ever picked anything that's not on a tree that's like shoulder level you ever pick strawberries i've done some picking in my life it is no fun to, to bend over when you're as tall as me and to do that all day, right? And I don't care if you're this tall or this tall. Bending over all day is hard work in the sun. It's just draining. So she goes home, and on top of Boaz, so she goes home, tells her her mother-in-law, Naomi, what happened. And Naomi is just like, all of a sudden, Naomi's faith is restored because she sees, she thought God had forgotten her. And through Boaz's kindness, she saw the kindness of God. A lot of times we think, God, you know, is not kind to me when we're, we're failing to see all the kindness of people around us that are signs of God's kindness to us, that he's being faithful to us. But like we want to see an angel or we want to see, you know, uh, like Oral Roberts, the hundred foot tall Jesus. Uh, we want to see something that, that it's tempting God when we ask for that, when he's, he's just deluging us with kindness, right? You guys are all so serious today. I'm trying to lighten it up every so often here. Uh, should I, Jay, should I tell him a joke? Not, no? Okay, thank you. No jokes, all right. So on top of this, Boaz says, listen, when we finish this field, we're going to go to another field, and when we finish all of our barley, we're going to do the wheat harvest, and just stay with me. And it takes about seven weeks for the for the. All, for all, both harvest to, to, to ripen and be reaped and, and put in the barns. And if you do the math, she will have almost three years of food. She's going from nothing. She didn't have a sack lunch. That's why Boaz was helping her. To over time, if she worked diligently, she could have almost three years of food. Some people would say, 
wow. I mean, like people oftentimes say when we do, in our food pantry every week, every month when we do it, like, uh, why do you give people so much? Well, we're not giving them so much, you know. It's not really that much. When you give someone fruit or vegetable, you give produce, it's not going to keep forever, right? This is not going to last for a year. And people have said to us, well, but those people are going to take that food and they're going to sell it somewhere because you give them more than just a family of three or four. So, if we want to help them, so, isn't that what Boaz did? And I remember years ago, when Maggie taught me a lesson, when we used to cook at the, the men's shelter every week on, what was it, Thursday night? Was it Thursday night? Thursday night. For how many people typically did you guys cook for in the team? Yeah, men, uh, no, no, women's, at Rebecca's house. Sixty to eighty people every week out of Maggie's kitchen, out of a couple of people's kitchens, Maggie's and Mel's and some others, because we don't have a commercial kitchen here. Big mistake when we were building this building. Big mistake. And so one day Maggie said, "John, you know we're going to do Thanksgiving, and we want to do like do it up. We want to have like multiple turkeys and dressing, like the best stuff." And I'm thinking, well, how much is that going to cost? And she goes, it's going to cost a lot. And she goes, but isn't the kingdom of God a banquet? And don't we want them to see the kingdom of God, that God's really generous? And I'm going, yeah, check my wallet. Yeah, I don't know. You know, I'm thinking. That's the way I'm thinking. And, I'm, and, and of course, at that moment, I wasn't totally on board, but I didn't want to look stingy. So I said, that's a great idea, Matthew. Maggie, go for it. Don't we do that? A lot of times we're really not totally on board, but we're in an awkward moment, and, and, and you know, we're virtue signaling in that moment, right? But I got it after that, and, and, and Maggie kept saying, let's do this every week. Let's boom, boom. And, we, and so we fed those people, these women that were in a real difficult place, and, and there's no doubt that a lot of them there because they, they, they were the architect of their own misery, but hey, God was gracious to me when I was the architect of my own misery, and Jesus died for me. So this becomes the way that we think about this. You understand? It's like a new lens to see this all through. And it is hard. It's hard on us because we have to trust God. If we're going to live this way, we have to trust God that God is in this space between us and other people. But that's what the Bible says over and over and over. He says, if you'll do this, I'll bless the work of your hands because I'm in this space, guys. And it generates a completely different way of living. And you don't necessarily jump on that bandwagon all at once, full bore. But if you start moving, like, like as you see in this story, Boaz sees her and he sees God's inviting him into something. And he moves toward her, and he's, he protects her first. Then throughout the day, you know, time's going on, and he realizes another opportunity to show God's kindness, and, and he begins to provide for her. First food, and then let's be generous with the harvest. Even though we've worked really hard for this harvest, and we've sweated and she didn't, let's be generous. 
Do people really think like that today? It's not natural to think that way. The only thing that makes you think that way is grace. The heart of the gospel, this thing, this symbol is grace. Undeserved kindness. Isn't it? Isn't it? And it's so much better. I mean, we just need to rub this grace stuff everywhere on everybody we meet. And even if they don't like it, even if they take advantage of it, what I want to show you what happens. So this is this is the let's let's go to application here. The point of this whole chapter is God is the friend of the outsider. He's the friend of the immigrant. He's the friend of the alien. And when God's your friend, it's good for you. Second, God's friendship, second lesson is God's friendship is expressed through us. That's what this says. Remember we talked about how this story has no overtly supernatural elements to it. There's coincidence and providence, but the power of God and the faithfulness of God is expressed through us to others. Let me say that again. God's friendship that we are assured is genuine is only revealed, or is often only revealed through us to others. And I want you to read, I'll show you. Chapter 1, we saw why Naomi, Naomi had been a friend to Ruth when Ruth was an outsider, and Naomi's son married Ruth. And then Ruth must have been an amazing friend and an amazing faithful believer while she was in Moab with her husband before all the tragic things started happening. Because when, when it was time for Naomi to go home, Ruth wanted to go with her. And she said, I want your God. I want your people. Because I've seen what that God's like by your love and your friendship. And so now I'm going to be your friend. And, and Naomi kept going, no, you know, it's, you're, you're throwing your life away. Don't do that. You know, you have hope. You're young. You can go have a family. You know, what are you going to have if you follow me? She says, I, my, my name, Naomi, means sweet. But now uh, call me Mara, which means bitter. So Naomi was really at a low point. And how on earth, why on earth would, would Ruth want to leave a possible good situation going back with her family to go to what looks like a train wreck with Naomi because of the God that Naomi had revealed to her. And she said, I want to follow that God. That's what grace does. So in verse 10 it says, at this, when he told her you can have water too, at this she bowed down with her face to the ground and she exclaimed, why? Have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me a foreigner? You see the kind of play on words? Nobody else noticed her. They noticed Naomi. Like, Kathy, what was that movie you went to the other night? The, the, it was a movie about a, a, a guy who's in a wheelchair and, and he hires an assistant to help him. I said, come on, you guys. Pardon? The upside, okay. And in one of the scenes, Kevin Hart, who's the, uh, the, the personal auxiliary to this rich guy, 
They go in for a hot dog, and, and the guy at the hot dog stand says to Kevin Hart, what do you want? And, uh, and then he orders, and he says, what does he want? And Kevin goes, ask him. Don't, don't ask me. Ask him. He's a person. And the, the, the guy, he says, oh, I'm sorry. But it was just typical. We, we don't notice people. We don't see people. Remember what Rick said about the homeless lady that panhandles? And, and people just want to avoid her, you know? And, and it's nice that, you know, some people feel like at certain points they should be kind to her and, and, and offer money, but she needs to be known. And so a number of people, I heard after, after Rick did that teaching, went and talked to her, you know, and had lunch with her and got to know her, asked her her name, right? Amazing, amazing. So... She's going, why have I, like with my background, look at the people that I, I, you know, where I've come from. We worship Chemosh, this God that demands human sacrifice. Think of how we treated you. People, no one, I mean, Naomi would have been treated worse than dirt if she was stuck there without a husband. But I come here and people are taking care of me. This God is gracious, like I heard, and I'm seeing it and that way you're treating me. And she's just like overwhelmed by that. It just takes her breath. So Boaz says, I've been told about all, I've, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with the people you didn't know before. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. She says, may I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord. You've given me comfort and have spoke kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. So, here's, here's the takeoff. Besides, God's a God of, he's a friend of immigrants, he shows his friendship through us. Those two, those two points are like linked. The Lord is inviting us. I really believe this is like a moment, not just this is just what we're teaching through. I think it's a prophetic moment in, in all of our lives together collectively. But in many of you individually, Are you going to notice? And if you notice, will you move towards the immigrants? Or are you going to notice and just go around them like the Levite and the, the scribe did in the Good Samaritan story? Because don't think, oh, I noticed them. It's so interesting. There's all these, you know, we're, we're multicultural now. There's something else God's doing in this. Now, I think you need to work this out individually. But I want to ask you to, to ask the Lord, is there something else he's doing like he was doing in Boaz's life? Because there's two journeys. There's three journeys, right? Sorry. Naomi and Ruth started, and then Boaz is coming along with them, and they're all on journeys that, that God's drawing them into. And each of their stories is fascinating. 
But Boaz's story and Ruth's story have really come alongside each other, which, as you'll see, is not coincidental. God's hand is in this in a unique way. But Boaz is being invited into this journey with God where God shows his kindness through Boaz in deeper and deeper ways. We're going to see next week. God takes Boaz into a whole nother level of friendship towards Naomi, I mean towards Ruth. And then the next chapter, further. And then at the end of the book, you see the fruit of (laughs) Boaz's journey. And we experience it today. But God is in this. And so many times we pray prayers, God, reveal yourself to me. And he says, I'm going to reveal myself to you if you will move some close enough to someone like an immigrant, someone different than you, that you're drawn into showing my kindness to them in a meaningful way, and then you experience me as my kindness comes back to you in surprising ways. But it means... Boaz's life gets complicated. It gets complicated. In this chapter, he can control this. He can handle this, right? His faith is enough for this. In the next chapter, God takes him out, like like the song Ocean said, like we sang last week, out upon the waters. And the unknown, you know, where feet may fail. But God... As he said, yes, God blessed him. And you'll see that next week, in in the week after. So, there's also people here, I don't know who, but I think there's people here, where you're kind of in the place of Ruth. And God's asking you to leave what you've believed in and what you've lived for. Just like Ruth, when she saw the goodness of God, She was drawn to seek refuge, to to leave her homeland and seek refuge under the wings of God. And it's a Hebrew idiom of, of, it's a picture of of, uh, tiny birds that that would come and seek the shelter of their mother's wings to protect them. And it was a very beautiful picture of love and tenderness. And so many times our picture of what God's like is so impersonal, and God's so far away. And Ruth was realizing she was in a a land far from the Jewish people, but she saw the reality of God in the life of Naomi, even though Naomi's life was complicated and, and there was some pain in it. She saw something in Naomi that drew her towards this God and said, I want this God and his people. Even though there's no, there's no promise of security there, and I know there's security back here in my homeland with my family and my gods. This is way better, even though it's way more uncertain. Unpredictable, wild. And she said, yes. And then she followed him out into a harsh, challenging environment. This whole story took place in a field where they were harvesting. And she saw that this God who she was now following noticed her. 
and lavished his love on her. He guided her to the right field, brought the right person who just showed kindness after kindness after kindness and affirmed her faith and said, you get it. You've sought refuge. So I want to ask you, I want to pray. I want to ask you, there's, there's two journeys that, that we're being invited on. One is just this journey, Boaz. If you're a believer, this is the journey the Lord's inviting you on to some, in some way. It may not be people who are different like immigrants. It may be people who is, are racially different from you. People who are economically different from you. There's all kinds of differences. But God's in this space between us and them. Between you and them. And if you will open your heart up, he'll show you. You will notice who the foreigner, who your foreigner is. Like last week we talked about friends. Whoever that is, they're there for you. And then those of you who are in Ruth's place, I want to ask you, will you say yes to to God's invitation to, to go on this journey and see that he's real in every area of your life? Just like Ruth. Ruth, every chapter is a revelation to Ruth of this God who loves her. He's real. He's there. He notices me. I count. Like Desi said, so many times we don't think we fit anywhere. And when we begin to fit with God, he begins to show us we have a family. We have a house. We matter. We have an identity. We're valuable. And he just reinforces it over and over and over. So just close your eyes and let's pray for a moment. If, if you, in light of what you've heard me say today, feel like, gosh, that Boaz journey... I want to go on that. I don't know what it means completely. I'm going to have to ponder this, but I feel something happening in my heart. And I want to go on that journey. I just want you to raise your hand. This is a response to the Lord. You're not responding to me, looking around. This is something God's doing in your heart. You're saying yes. Okay. Now, is there anybody here who you want to go today on Ruth's journey? You want to leave your gods, you want to leave your, what, what you believed and begin to follow Jesus. Does Boaz embody the Lord God of Israel to Ruth? And Jesus embodies God our Father to us. And Jesus is the one that shows you kindness. And if you want to follow him, no matter how little you know about that, just raise your hand and say, yeah, I want to follow him. I'm following Jesus now. And don't be shy about it. All right. So, Lord, we thank you for these stories that uh, are just wild, crazy, exciting, and challenging, just like you are. And people here have heard your voice and I pray now that as they've responded in just even a simple way of raising their hand as a reflection of what's going on in their heart your work in their heart, your goodness has drawn them and I pray the Holy Spirit now would just confirm to them that they're your beloved children and you're going to take them on this journey, you're going to provide for them and protect them and meet them in every way.
And we, we welcome whatever invitation that, Father, that you are offering us as a church to show your kindness to people around us here in Northwest Columbus who are different. We just together say yes. We just say yes. We don't know what that looks like, but we pray for your wisdom, your understanding, your direction to begin to come to us as individuals and then collectively together. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay.